Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Look, I don't think Mark Madsen's going to the Final Four in his first season, but we just spoke with Cal's coach. If you heard the interview, really good look into what he wants to do at Cal, what he thinks he can do at Cal. He's brought a staff to the East Bay area where it's, it's, you know, it's not cheap to ask people to move. And he's talking like a guy who knows what it's going to take to win at Cal. Seems to have the support of his donors. He said uh, multiple times in that interview that they're building that practice facility. And uh, it was really interesting to hear him talk about the assurances he got from Cal AD Jim Knowlton prior to taking the job. They will fly via charter flight, Cal basketball. They will not be negatively recruited on that front. John, it seems to me that Stanford's going to be regretting not firing Jared Haas and hiring Mark Madsen this past offseason. You think so? I think so. You he, texted me during the interview. You said he's going to win. He's going to win. I, I, I'm sold on Mark Madsen winning at Cal. I had a couple of friends who live in the Bay Area who are big Cal fans who were listening to that interview. And I just, I'll just i just read a little excerpt from uh, one of my friends who was listening. He said, you know, look, um, this is a really good interview. Mark is really good. This is from a diehard Cal fan who's totally disillusioned with what Cal became in the last couple of few years. Uh, our next guest can speak to some of that. John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News. You can read him at Pac12Hotline.com. He is my co-host on the Kanzano and Wilner podcast. Wilner, let's start by talking about Mark Madsen. He's, he seems to have the donor support, the leverage, saying the right things. He's got some proof of performance. He, he, talk, he interviewed before the interview. He talked to three prior Cal coaches to get input. He talked to players. He says they're building that practice facility. The plans are drawn up. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I think they want to matter again. Well, he wants to matter. Uh, we'll see if the athletic department wants to matter, and we certainly will see if the uh, administration wants to matter, right? I mean, if you're Cal basketball coach, you're starting off, it's like starting a game and you're down 14 to 1. Yeah. So we'll see to what extent he can rebuild the roster and, and to what extent Cal, Cal makes good on those promises within our lifetimes. Right. I mean, Cal could say, sure, we're going to build a, we're going to build a basketball facility. And that thing, they break ground in, in 2087. So we'll see. Give me an idea of what you would consider a successful first year. Cause you know, he said what coaches will say, he'll say, Hey, we want to, we want to win. We want to be competitive right away. But what, what is a success in year one for a program that was three and 29? Yeah. Uh, you know, if they could get to, well, it, I, I think it's a couple of, on a couple of fronts. One is they got to win more than one or two Pac-12 games. You know, what, four and 16, five and 15 overall, if they could get to eight or 10 wins. But the big thing to me too is no terrible losses in November and December. And that's been the hallmark of Cal basketball for many years now is just these abominable non-conference losses that set their their uh, net ranking in the two and three hundreds. And then every time they play a Pac-12 game, they drag down the Pac-12 opponent because 
uh, win or lose because Cal's net rating, ranking is so bad. So they got to avoid the terrible losses early in the season. You know what my dad used to do when I when he coached up my little league teams is you know he'd say all right everybody take a lap and then he'd say don't be last. I think that's Cal's mantra for year one. Don't be last. You know, beat somebody in conference play. And I know Mark Madsen won't like to hear that, but you know they were non-competitive this last season. And I think being competitive, maybe having a couple players that you go, oh gosh, that's a great young player. In two years, they're going to be lights out. I think that to me would be a marker of success. Also, maybe just seeing some, like the family that owns the Levi Strauss company, big Cal donors, just seeing them back engaged like they were in the Ben Braun uh, era of Cal basketball would be, I think, a win as well. Oh, no question. But then then you get to the commitment issue, though, right? Let's say he does get a couple of promising young players. Then you got to keep those guys. And a big part of keeping them is, is NIL these days. So, Where's Cal's collective going to be on NIL? What kind of donor support are they going to get on that front? You know, to what extent is the administration going to let him get transfers in for undergraduate, for graduate, you know, over the course of a couple of years? Because that's what he's going to need is multiple recruiting classes to rebuild the roster and then keep those guys. And keeping them is very difficult at Cal. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News. You tweeted out, newsy day today. Mike Bowen, the athletic director, USC, uh, resigned today. What did you make of that? Well, the LA Times reported, uh, it's uh, you know updated its initial report that just had Mike Bowen's statement, and, and the updated said that their, their USC had kind of out, hired an outside firm to investigate the culture of the athletic department, and it sounds like, some of the feedback that that firm got about Bones management was not very flattering. And I would imagine that is what sparked this uh, kind of abrupt uh, resignation, right? I mean, it came out today and he's resigning today. So, you know, that's not usually a good, a good reflection on what's going on internally. And, and so the LA times I think has kind of shed some light on it. Yeah, his statement kind of buries the lead, right? You know, I read his initial statement, and I thought, health issue? And then you you, you read the L.A. Times, and you're like, oh, no, health of the department issue. Um, his legacy, well, yeah, yeah. yeah, his legacy, um, you know, he he has been involved in realignment a couple times in his career. What's his legacy right now as an admin? You know, I think that uh, this certainly isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to help, but – He's the guy who got Lincoln Riley hired at USC, and he's the guy who got USC and and UCLA, you know, ushered into the Big Ten in a lot of ways. I know Fox was kind of the puppet master, but it certainly happened on Bones Watch, and uh, I think that those those two things making USC relevant in football, uh, you know, at the at the highest level. Uh, I think will go a long way towards shaping his legacy and also, you know, what he did at Cincinnati too with Luke Fickle uh, helping that, you know, that helped. He got Colorado in the Pac-12, you know, really was responsible for Cincinnati getting in the Big 12 and and USC into the Big 10. Uh, You know, all those things kind of happened on his watches. Wilner, you know, this uh, this is, uh, these uncertain times seem to be crawling towards a resolution on the Pac-12's front. Um, J.D. Wicker, San Diego State Athletic Director, did an interview 
uh, you know, yesterday in which he said that, you know, he's been in regular contact with the Pac-12. He mentioned June 30th, that, that, that they're kind of expecting a resolution on that front. Well, you and I have talked on, on the podcast about Ray Anderson's comments, Kirk Schultz's comments, Rob Mullen's comments. Are you getting the sense as well that the goalposts have been moved into the middle of June, end of June as a resolution? You know, it seems that way. Uh, the goalposts were moved into March, right? Initially, they were set in March, and then they were moved. Uh, but certainly, you know, when the Pac-12 tried to manage expectations back in March, it was targeting, like, what, uh, late spring, early summer, I think is how it was actually phrased. And that would put you, you know, middle or late June. And I certainly think San Diego State would like to, you know, keep its its uh, exit payment to the Mountain West as low as possible. And, and, you know, having it double or whatever it does starting on July 1st is, is suboptimal. So my guess is they're going to do everything they can to get it, get it done by June 30th. Now, what that means exactly, you know, I don't know. It's possible that, uh, that they'll have something done and nobody's going to know about it. Right. They've been pretty good about keeping things quiet. So we'll see what kind of job they do, uh, with the leaks to the media during those three successive uh, endeavors, right? They got to sign, get uh, agree to a media deal, sign the grant of rights, and then make a decision on expansion. I would imagine those things will happen quickly, but I don't think they're going to happen all at once. So, what will happen in between each move is is kind of what I'm interested in. Yeah, I asked Bob Thompson about the grant of rights and media deal, and he told me that that they would not push a media deal forward for a vote unless they knew they had the grant of rights locked up. And so he said that falls on the executive committee. And help me out here. I believe it is uh, Kirk Schultz at Washington State, Anna Marie Kosse at Washington, and uh, Stanford's uh, president, who are the— Yeah, are Mark Tessier-Levine uh, at Stanford, yeah. yes. So what my understanding there is those three— they get sort of, hey, here's the deal. Is everybody good with the deal? Yes, okay. Uh, that means we have the grant of rights. He says they, so they sort of walk in lockstep on those two parts. But I kind of wonder, you know, would they would they have a discussion about unequal revenue sharing with postseason money? Do you think that will be part of the Pac-12 conference's plan moving forward, that, you know, hey, you, you earn a bigger share if you make the playoff? Yeah, I don't know if it will be. Uh, but it seems like that would be something they should really be thinking long and hard about. Uh, I think it would it would satisfy uh, multiple schools for you know football and basketball, but also, you know, it, it can work as an incentive uh, for other schools to to spend more money. I don't know that it uh, kind of you eat what you kill in the postseason uh, to a certain extent. Not every dime, right? I mean, if you get twenty five million dollars for a playoff appearance, I don't know that. The, that that school necessarily keeps all 25 million, but certainly some kind of outsized portion makes makes a lot of sense to me in that regard. And I would have to think that they've been talking that through. It'll probably be a deal where, yeah, we know that we're gonna we're gonna sign that media deal because we know the grant of rights is okay, and then we're gonna move to to expansion. And I don't know how long it'll take on expansion if they get those first two pieces together. May, you know, maybe it's the same day, but it also could be a few days and, and expansion. There's a lot of legal work on multiple fronts with, with expansion. So we'll see if they're able to get that thing settled, you know, within a short period of time after the, the first two hurdles are cleared. 
John Wilner, San Jose Mercury News with us, covers the Pac-12 conference. Uh, some news today on the finances of the conference. Uh, about 11 o'clock this morning, Pac-12 releasing their financial performance for the fiscal year that was 21-22, showing uh, $581 million in revenues, showing some distributions. Um, you took a look at the 990. What jumps out at you when you look at the financial report that the Pac-12 uh, issued? Well, you know, it's certainly record revenue and record distributions to the schools, but at the same time, they're still trailing their peers in the other leagues, and a lot of that's because the Pac-12 networks, both uh, the lack of revenue with the Pac-12 networks and also the expense involved in the Pac-12 networks. You know, I think I think they've done a good job trimming conference operational expenses. Uh, it was like 12%, 13%. They've trimmed those. Uh, but, you know, their, their basic – financial framework is kind of the same that it has been uh, a couple other things that were of interest one is that they may have to file an amended uh, an amended report to the to the IRS because of the the Comcast fiasco because they could end up with reduced revenue which would require them to amend their that that piece of the of the tax filings and the other piece is you know Larry Scott's getting himself a nice little severance package he got 1.5 million for work in the first six months of 2021, and I'm assuming that uh, he's gonna, we're going to see 1.5 million show up for in severance for him when we get to uh, next spring, and they release the the 990s for the 23 fiscal year. I, I would imagine he got a three million dollar severance payment in addition to a hefty uh, a hefty compensation for being commissioner for the first six months of that year. He has done very well by the Pac-12. The presidents have treated him like royalty. It's just too bad he was never negotiating on behalf of the Pac-12. He did well negotiating for himself. You know, like, I knew he had it in him. I just wished that, I wished that he had thought of the Pac-12 as the entity that he needed to put first. Uh, Wilner, this season uh, we're going to get five, maybe six teams in the preseason top 25. Do you think five or six? Do you think UCLA gets ranked or – or is it five and UCLA also gets votes? Well, I think it's something that we're assuming, and I agree with you, but we're both assuming that Oregon State's going to be in there, which is, yeah. is pretty uh, remarkable, right? I mean, I don't know the last time Oregon State was in the AP preseason poll. You may, but I certainly don't. And, and to me, it, it, there's not even a question as to whether they should be in there, uh, which tells you a lot about what Jonathan Smith has done. UCLA, I – man – I don't know that they will. I think it'll be real close. They'll be in that maybe be in that others receiving the votes. They they you know losing the quarterback, losing tailback. Their defense was bad. I just don't know enough that enough people around the country. You know, there's 60 some voters in the AP poll. I don't know that enough of them are going to have have you know be comfortable with putting UCLA in there. Wilner, uh, you know, look before I let you go here, this. Um... You know, this football season, I think I'm looking at Washington. I'm looking at Oregon. I'm looking at USC. I'm, I'm looking at Utah. Just let's start. Let's focus on those four because uh, apologies to Oregon State. I don't I don't want to put them in this conversation. But of those four, who is most likely in your mind to take a step backwards? You know, as we're assuming they're all going to be good. But who has the most questions or maybe – is walking the uh, walking a tighter line than the others? Man, good question. 
I, I think in in some ways it's Utah, only because you got to have so much go right to say three peat, and uh, that that's a that's a tough order. But if I were going to pick out one out of those four to take a significant step back in performance, you know, Oregon, I would probably be Oregon because I'm just not sure about their their defense, right? I it kind of uh, lost it. They, they kind of fell apart down the stretch last year. Uh, and I, the offensive line's got to be rebuilt. I know they've recruited well, but I'm just, uh, I'm not, I'm not sold on Oregon of those three of those four. That would be the team I'd pick to, to really step back. Uh, even though, even though Utah has, has walked that fine line and certainly needed a lot of help to get into the Pac-12 championship game last year. I would probably pick Oregon, and I may end up regretting that pick too. Who knows? They'll end up finishing eleven and one. Yeah, I look at Oregon, and I I think you know I like the way their schedule lines up. I like the fact that they're not going to play their tougher games until about week seven when they meet Washington. But that last month is going to be brutal for them. If they can be healthy and they can get the defense figured out, I I I think Oregon might make the title game, but. But um, I look at Washington, I think, you know, can Michael Penix Jr. stay as healthy as he did last year? That's a question mark for Kalen DeBoer. And certainly with USC, I think, you know, we learned it in the title game. I think they're going to be better on the defensive line. Maybe they'll be better and more physical on the offensive line. But if they don't keep Caleb Williams healthy, they're they're obviously not the same team. And so I look at it's health for me. And and the fact that all these these good teams don't play each other until week seven, week eight, week nine – Whoever's healthy at the end of the year, I think, wins this thing or gets to Vegas. Uh, Wilner, I appreciate you, man. Uh, Keep up the good work. Keep up the fight. We will uh, continue to do the Konzano and Wilner podcast. For those who who haven't found it yet, make sure you subscribe to it. Wilner, thank you, man. Thanks, my friend. All right, there he is, John Wilner. Um, All right, most likely to take a step backwards. Think about that. Um, Oregon State. All right, I, I think you could build a case for anybody because we just don't know at this point. I'll include Oregon State then. All right, so I will. Just to be fair, I'll include all five of the ranked teams. Most likely to maybe not be ranked at the end of the year. All right, let's let's just build a case for everybody. Um, USC's case begins and ends with Caleb Williams. He gets hurt, um, has a hamstring issue like he did in the title game, has any kind of injury. He, they're not the same. USC's not the same team. And guess what? They play all their hard games week seven and beyond, or the more difficult appearing games come at week six with Notre Dame, and then all the conference games after that are tough for them. Utah, Oregon, Washington. Uh, it's going to be brutal down the stretch. So if Caleb Williams isn't right, they are going to struggle late in the season. Um, same for Oregon. It's Bo Nix. Like, we saw it last year. Like, they pretty much put Bo Nix on a stool in the late part of the season against Utah and and certainly in the Civil War game against Oregon State, and they just said, okay, you know, we're real limited in what we can do here. You can't end up there, again, if you're Oregon. And beyond that, your defense has to be better. We know that. So those are the questions for Oregon. Washington, it's health of Michael Penix Jr., who has historically struggled to stay healthy last year, knock on wood. Penix Jr. stayed healthy. Washington didn't have a great run game, and it didn't matter. I think they need to be better in the run game because I think you're going to see teams. And Mike Bellotti told me this in a conversation just a few weeks ago. He was he was really baffled at Oregon's two of the last three games in Oregon's regular season. He said, couldn't stop Washington's pass game, and that's all they were doing was passing. 
couldn't stop Oregon State's run game, and all they were doing was running. And he looked at those, you know, those two games and thought, no adjustment at all. Well, guess what? Pac-12 defenses will adjust to what Michael Penix Jr. is doing, and that's why Washington's got to run the ball better. They have to have a potent run game, or at least a run game that keeps you honest. They didn't have that last year. So I think that's the question for Washington. Utah, uh, Cam Rising is the question mark. He had a knee surgery, season-ending injury last year. Does he come back, and does he come back in a way that is meaningful? That is a huge question for Utah. And so, you know, everybody's got a question mark, and Oregon State's question mark, I think, begins with the quarterback position and then uh, the questions on defense. They lost multiple team captains, Jack Coletto at linebacker, Jaden Grant in the secondary. How do they replace that leadership? And will there be questions in fall camp? Is it Aiden Childs? Is it DJ Uyunglele? Like, who is going to... uh, start at quarterback to start the year. Like, Oregon State's got to figure that out, and it's got to replace the leadership. So still questions for the five teams that we all expect to be ranked. All right, I want you to leave it here. Coming up uh, later in the program, Ben Golliver's going to join us. He's in the air today. He will be landing in Los Angeles. He's traveling Denver to Los Angeles. He will be there for Game 3 of the Western Conference Finals. Ben Golliver, Washington Post, will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour. Leave it here. Excited to talk to Ben Golliver later in the program. I think he's one of the best in the uh, in the NBA world talking about the playoffs. He'll join us from Los Angeles, uh, site of Game 3 of that series. Nuggets up two games to none. Jamal Murray was on fire. Reminded me of NBA Jams. He's on fire. Uh, as uh, he was, uh, his fourth quarter last night was fantastic. Steven, I thought the Lakers had that one. I did too. Um, I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they did not pull it off. I, oh. did, I made the bet. Uh, <laughs> oh, you did now? Oh, yeah, no. I did right away. So now you are. Uh... <laughs> so now you are looking at uh, betting the Lakers. Yeah, no, to win I, the series. Yeah, before the game, they were plus two forty to win the series. I bet them at plus three fifty to win the series after the after the loss. I, you know, the Nuggets may just be better, and I might be wrong about this, but. I look at this Lakers team, and they have a lot more depth. They have a lot more talent on this team. You look at Denver, they have one guy off the bench, Bruce Brown, that they play. They play six guys, and I think that's going to come back and hurt Denver later on in the series. So I think L.A. gets the two games at home, and then when you go back to Denver, I know it's tough to play there, but the Lakers have been in both games, and I don't think that they've played well in either of them. LeBron hasn't hit a three in the fourth quarter in either game. Anthony Davis didn't even score 20 points last night. I think the Lakers are more talented than Denver, and Denver is less deep. So I have a lot of faith in the Lakers that they can uh, pull off the uh, you know the comeback from down 2-0 and win the series. We will see what happens there. All right, we're going to play some punch and audio here. We have great sound today. Uh, busy day, a lot of news. Uh, let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Mark Madsen, who is our guest in Hour One, new Cal basketball coach. He is taking over a program that went 3-29 and under Mark Fox last year. Fox was dismissed. Cal doesn't have a practice facility. They didn't take team 
charters, on uh, road trips. Mark Madsen, though, sounded like a guy who's ready to win. Punch it. We want to compete right away. We will compete right away. We we will be we we are the, we are going to be a team that other teams do not want to try to prepare for. We're going to throw different defenses out there. We're going to play fast. We're going to have a lot of different <clears throat> offensive schemes with great spacing, and every action is going to have a counter. And so it's going to be hard to steal our calls. It's going to be hard to prepare against us because we are coming to this conference guns a-blazing. Guns a-blazing wants to build a practice facility. He said, we will get it done. We will get it done. He said it twice. He's like speaking it into into truth. Uh, look, I like Madsen. I liked him as a player at Stanford. Uh, he told a great story about Shaq. Obviously, the generosity of Shaq that uh, has been documented in other stories. But uh, that interview is well worth your time. You get a chance to listen to the podcast. But Cal's got an uphill climb. And, and we all know that it. You know, you, coaches, coaches can coach. Coaches can recruit. He's got a good staff. But ultimately, he, does need, he needs help. He needs booster help. And you talk about the uh, former coaches like Ben Braun, who, who I think is – Really disappointed with where Cal's program has ended up. Ben Braun, I think, um, and Mark Montgomery, uh, excuse me, Mike Montgomery, really, really uh, strong advocates for what Mark Madsen wants to do. But I don't like the athletic director, Jim Knowlton, at Cal. I don't think he's a great fit. I don't think the university president uh, and chancellor understand sports and the value of sports. So, you know, I think Justin Wilcox is up against those things as well on the football side. Be interesting to see if Mark Madsen can overcome some of it. Mike Bone, USC's athletic director, he resigned today. Looks like it's a little bit of a hostile work environment situation at USC, but here he is at Lincoln Riley's introductory news conference in uh, November of last year. Punch it. When we began this process, our goal was to find the right leader for USC and our football players. It was never our goal to change the landscape of college football with one of the biggest moves in the history of the game. But we did exactly that. Cue the band, cue the song girls. And, uh, you know, look, also let's uh, bring in uh, the workplace investigation team at USC. L.A. Times story outlining a, uh, a work environment that had negative culture and Hostility being part of it doesn't shock me. Um, he struck. He he did strike me as a bit of a blowhard. And you know, look, I know a lot of people in the Pac-12 footprint are not happy with Mike Bone because they do see him as partly the architect of USC's departure from the Pac-12. But it sounds to me like it wasn't all that fun to work alongside him if you were in the USC athletic department. This is just starting for Bone. It's a great job. Somebody else out there will benefit from it. But USC heading to the Big Ten Conference without their athletic director, the guy who helped engineer that deal. Jim Brown passed away. Uh, some sad news coming out of the NFL world today. Uh, his widow uh, telling, uh, telling the world in a statement that uh, he has passed away. Monique Brown made the, made the uh, statement last night. Uh, Jim Brown, hear it here. Punch it. Well, you get at the same time each time so that your enemy don't know when you're hurt or when you have to get up slow. And it gives you an advantage. That's simple. You know, if one time you get up real slow and look like you're hurt, they're gonna come at you next play and try to kill you. But if you get up slow every time, you conserve energy and you camouflage everything. 
power runner with sprinter speed. Uh, what a blend of talent with Jim Brown. Uh, 87 years old. Uh, this was a guy inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame 1971. Uh, and a guy who retired in the at the height of his career. Uh, you know, he was the reigning NFL MVP when he retired from football at the age of 30. He was fi- filming a movie. He became a movie star. He was in more than 50 film and television projects. He became a civil rights activist. Could have played longer. Could have played many more years. But um, uh, Jim Brown, who led the NFL in rushing eight times in nine seasons, nine Pro Bowls, NFL champion, Final year, he rushed for a league-high 1,544 yards. Jim Brown dead at the age of 87. Uh, Greg Biggins, 24-7 Sports, giving out grades when it comes to spring recruiting. What grade did he give the Oregon Ducks? Here's Biggins. Punch it. Give him an A-plus, right? I don't know what I put down. If it was an A, I'm going to make it an A-plus just because I'm feeling generous right now. <laughs> Andrew Van Buren, a quarterback that I like a lot. It could be their quarterback of the futures community this weekend. The crystal ball. It's kind of heavily leaning toward those Ducks, Blair and Emily. So, again, so much energy from that staff. Dan Lanning all the way down would be Tosh Lupoid, Demetrius Martin. And I know I think Oregon, you got to mention them as a uh, one of those few schools. Again, you say the Ohio States, the Alabamas of the world, where if you get an offer from Oregon, whether you're in Southern California, you're in New York, you're in Texas, and that Oregon offer resonates now, and it creates so much buzz. And they are an absolute player for anybody in the country. I like what they're doing so far, and I love who they kind of currently lead for. Don't want to give away uh, the answers to the test, but I think Oregon right now gets an A-plus from me. That Greg Biggins handing out not just an A, but an A-plus. Uh, I follow Tosh Lapoy, Oregon's D coordinator, on social media. He just tweets out pictures of all the interstate overpass signs that you know mark the cities that he's in, St. Louis and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, interesting to see. I think he's in Vegas this week. But interesting to see Oregon out recruiting, especially in the spring. Meanwhile, he gave Oregon State a less favorable grade. Here's Greg Biggins. Punch. Oregon State, uh, you mentioned, you know, Aiden Childs. They're, they're doing pretty well, I think, Oregon State with another quarterback at Etiwanda, Demarcus Davis, who we saw a few times. And, and again, for me, it's kind of an easy comp to Childs. They're both about 6'4", 6'5". They're both kind of late bloomers. Both have big-time arms. Both are young for their grade. Both are athletic. Uh, and I like that a lot. Kamar Mathudi, one of our top 100 players or 150 top linebacker, he's going to visit Oregon State. Oregon State has a lot of players lined up for official visits in June. So uh, whatever the grade is right now, I think, you know, you guys gave him a C plus. I was, I was saying C. You guys went C plus. You know, it, shoot, it could be a B minus maybe, right? They can close on some of these guys in June. We, we shall see about that. Look, uh, Oregon State, though, we all know they do it a little different in Corvallis. It's about retention. It's about growth. Jonathan Smith lost fewer players in the transfer portal to other schools than anybody else in the Pac-12. Um, culture is what it's about at Oregon State. Uh, you know, there's two ways. I always say this. There's two ways to get to the top of the tree, okay? You can catapult yourself to the top of the tree, Oregon, or you can plant a seed, you can water it, and you can sit on the ground and wait. That's Oregon State. You're Either way, you're at the top of the tree. And I think it's going to be fun to see these two teams hopefully meet in a Civil War football game late next season that has some big-time implications. Do you th- do you agree with the point that he made about Oregon, saying he's they're on the same level as an Ohio State, Alabama, when they offer a kid, it resonates that much? That, that seems like really high praise to me, but I might be wrong. Maybe that's the way it is looked across uh, the country right now. 
I'm not as tuned in as these recruiting geeks are, and I mean that with all love and respect for Greg Biggins. Uh, but he's a geek. I mean, he geeks out on this stuff. It's what he follows. And and look, he's Southern California based, where Oregon has has done really well historically. I think the the challenge and where I would disagree with him is that Ohio State and others are getting defensive tackles that are five star guys. Oregon got Jordan Birch out of the transfer portal. He's a different kind of body. I, I stood next to him on the sideline after the spring game. I just kind of wanted to size him up. And, you know, because we'd heard so much about him, I kind of just walked over and just kind of looked at him. And he did. He, he reminded me of uh, Eric Armstead or uh, DeForest Buckner. He has that kind of size to him. So, but Oregon gets one of those guys. Ohio State gets five of those guys. There's a big difference there. So I, I think I need, I need a bigger sample size. But for now, I'll take Biggins at his word that the offer from Oregon means as much as the offer from Ohio State. And, and I have friends. Look, I have a friend who lives in SEC country. He's a physician. He lives near Ole Miss in some you know small town where they sit on the porch with a bow tie on and they drink uh, sweet tea. He, uh, he said to me that the kids down there, as they play Madden and other video games, they all want to be Oregon. It's still cool to be Oregon. And give, I'll give the Ducks credit for that. LeBron James, he looked a little old last night as the Nuggets uh, were rolling to a win in Game 2 of the Western Conference Finals. Here's how it sounded. Bobo blocked by Davis, picked up by Schroeder, saves it to Hachimura. James ahead of the pack, goes up. Oh, he lost control, and the crowd delights in that. I can't ever remember seeing that from him. LeBron missing a uh, loses the ball on the fast break dunk attempt he also had a flop steven you see him flop and did, uh, yeah. nikola Jokic, uh, a little bit disgusted with him does he lose cred among nba players by flopping like that um maybe a little bit but i think i think a lot of players they try to sell calls so i, I don't i don't necessarily blame lebron like he got to try to uh you know sell the call and he got it right like he got the foul called for him so i don't I don't hate it. Like flopping happens in all sports. It happens in football, which is the toughest sport. It happens in soccer. Like it happens everywhere. So I, I really don't have a problem with it. And I don't think it hurts his reputation too much. He's just kind of known as a flopper. That's just what he does. But that dunk, John, that uh, you played right there, he tried to go fancy on it. And, uh, yep. you know, I, you can't do that in the playoffs. Why, why are you giving up two points? That's just a bad move. Like LeBron, one of the smarter players I've ever seen play. Really dumb play right there. It, it struck me late in the game. After Anthony Davis hits a three, I think that pulled them to within two or three. I I thought to myself later in the in the uh, game, I thought, gosh, if, if they could get that two points back on the LeBron miss, they would be right there. And, and fortunately, they weren't, and Denver put the game away. Uh, the Trailblazers hold the number three pick. A lot of questions for the Blazers. A lot of speculation about, you know, the Blazers could get – a uh, premier wing player for Anthony Simons and the three pick. I, I need to see it to believe it. I also think there's other questions for this franchise. But Zach Lowe, who covers the NBA, talking about what the Blazers might do. Punch it. And there's a sense now that like maybe the West will be kind of quote-unquote open in the next couple years. And so you ask me what trade makes them a finals contender. And on the one hand, well, hey, the West, the West is open. If we could package... Number three in Anthony Simons, could we get Mikhail Bridges? I don't I don't think that gets you there. Could we get OG Ananobi? I'm not, not sure that gets you there. Does that make you a finals contender? I, in the West, maybe. On the other hand, 
maybe the West is so wide open, you try to thread the needle like you just described and collect all these young guys. Maybe one or two of them pop at the same time. Maybe Nurkic gets healthy and has a great season. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we're pretty darn good. But if I'm Damian Lillard and I'm 32 and I'm looking around, I got Simons and Sharp and Brandon Miller, Scoot, Scoot Henderson, and like all these guys are exciting. Are they that exciting to me? I, I don't know. Maybe they are. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they aren't. I, I just think that I don't see the West as wide open as Zach Lowe is talking about. You know, do you see that? I because I look at Denver and I think Denver's going to be there for a while. Yeah, he. And, yeah, in the clip, it was a little longer later on. He talks about that how Denver's going to be there. Phoenix is still going to be there with Durant and Booker. Lakers aren't going to go anywhere. They're going to try to rebuild. Same with the Clippers. So no, I'm, I'm with you, John. I don't think the West is as open as we think it is. I think it's very. There may not be like the top teams, but it's from one yeah. to twelve. Like it is deep. Like it yeah. is really tough to get up in there. The interesting part is I've been talking to numerous people today, trying to figure out what is real, what is not, with that number three pick and Anthony Simons. You ask one person, they can get a superstar player, Mikel Bridges, Jalen Brown. You talk to another person, they can't get OG and Anobi. Like I don't think anybody knows anything right now, but it, you know, we gotta we gotta project what was gonna happen. To me, it seems like the Blazers are gonna be put in a spot where. They're either going to have to sell that or trade that pick for less value, or they're going to force Dame's hand and just draft a player. Like, I don't think they're going to get top-end talent like a lot of the Blazer fans, and I think even the Blazer front office thinks right now. And I think where I cringe is if they settle, and instead of drafting the player, they settle for not top-end talent with the pick, because then you're mortgaging your future, you're not taking the best young player in the draft, and you are mortgaging your future at a discount. And that's what you can't do. And that's why I think, like, the more plausible thing, again, Blazer fans who love Damian Lillard don't want to hear it, but the the best way out of this for the Blazers might be to trade Damian Lillard. Let me and, ask you this, John. Yeah. Joe Cronin signed a, you know, a long-term deal. Mike Schmitz, the assistant GM, he's there for a long time. Is it out of the question to say, they're going to force Dame's hand and just draft somebody at no. three. And if Dame says, I want to be traded, trade me. Not out of the question, but you lose your, you lose value with Lillard. But I keep looking at Denver, Sacramento, Phoenix, even the Warriors, even the Clippers, even the Lakers, and I'm going, okay, how, how, how far away from that are the Blazers? Like, it's not just add one player and now you can compete in the West. That's not it. You need multiple players. You need depth. You need to figure out what um, you know what is happening with Yusuf Nurkic or at the center position in general. You need a better center. You need an elite small forward. You need depth. And can you do that with the three pick in Anthony Simons? No, you can't do that. That's why I think they're too far away. And I think the upside, even if they make the deal that is a pretty good deal for the pick and Simons, I still think they're like, are they six, seven, or eight in the West? And to me, that's not enough to give up that future. And that future is the third pick. And so I, I would rather see them pivot now, have some growing pains in the next couple years, and emerge like, you know, Sacramento has emerged. And emerge as, you know, some of these other teams. You know, you're not Phoenix. You're not the Lakers. You're not going to build that way. You have to think of Sacramento. You have to think of maybe what Memphis was moving towards before all this John Morant stuff. But... Uh, tough position for the Blazers, and I think uh, we're going to find out if they are betting on Lillard or betting on... We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.